The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Oranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, June 19th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my returning guest, Anat Banyel. Part one of this interview aired on May 8th, and it is archived. Anat Banyel is a clinical psychologist and dancer and a leader in the field of the relationship between movement and the brain. She developed a cutting-edge approach supported by recent brain plasticity research, which is called the Anat Banyel Method. Anat and the practitioners she trained are known for their remarkable outcomes with children with special needs. Annette Banyel is the author of the new book, Kids Beyond Limits, and I encourage you to listen to the archived interview that aired on May 8th to hear me raving about this book. And um, Annette, where can you pick up a copy of Kids? Amazon, you know, Barnes & Noble, online, of course, and a local bookstore, they either carry it or you can order it from them if you'd like to support them. Okay, very good. And I do encourage listeners to pick up a copy of Annette's book. Um, it will give you a new way to think about things that's practical for your child or the children whom you serve. So I'd like to welcome you back, Annette. I, I'm thrilled to be back, Terry. Well, today we're going to talk, we're going to devote this hour to talking about your nine essentials. We started talking about that in the last show. And can you tell listeners what your nine essentials are, just very briefly, just like the name of each essential, and what make you, made you develop nine or those nine? Okay. Okay. So the nine essentials are, I'll just list them first, they're movement with attention, and uh, slow is the second one. Third one is variation. Essentials, uh, I mean, the fourth essential is subtlety. Then enthusiasm, flexible goals, the learning switch, imagination and dreams. And the final one is awareness. And um, what, what got me, you know, you're the first to, to ask me this question about what got me to develop the essentials. And I think it's, a, for me, a wonderful question uh, over the years, I, I, I saw, you know, as you said, remarkable changes, both in adults and in children, and uh, I started seeing some patterns and consistencies. And one of the things after I was actually in Chicago uh, teaching a large training for two weeks for adults and then seeing kids in the afternoon, and on the way back home, I kind of like started uh, pondering the difference between the children and the adults and then... and 
how children are, especially when they're well, compared to adults. And I labeled it principles of usefulness initially. And then, and I had 17 of those. And then I realized that those qualities or characteristics of a healthy child, like children move, except when they sleep, they move all the time. Even before they have voluntary movement, you know, when they're infants, they twitch and they have those random unintentional movements and some reflex movements and they move a lot in utero. And so, and then I noticed other things like kids, healthy children uh, spontaneously introduce enormous amount of variation into their activities and their thinking and their emotions and it keeps just growing. So, and after a while, you know, playing with that, it occurred to me that what happens spontaneously with healthy children and children that are healthy have to grow and learn everything that they will ever know how to do. The brain is about a fifth of its size at birth from what, uh, compared to what it will be later on in life. So, so I, I, I thought, well, if that's what all healthy children do, no matter the background culture, you know, China, United States, anywhere, it's probably the conditions that the brain needs in order to grow successfully and learn and form function. And, and, they, and I compared it to adults, and I realized how, for adults, actually, we tend to lose it over the years and to reverse pain, injury, depression, and, and you know, problems for adults Actually, those essentials, when they get better, start popping, and I use them to help adults, too. I use them to help children with special needs because a child that has, for instance, autism, one of the things that tends to not happen as much as it happens otherwise is, for instance, variation. There's enormous amount of rigidity, compulsivity, difficulty with transitions, things like that. And I took those 17 of, you know, characteristics and worked actually a year, Terry, to, and, and, and worked on the conceptualization aspect of it because there was overlap between things and so on until they boiled down. Actually, I boiled them down to eight and then I realized that one of them had to be separated. So it ended up being nine. But it was a long process. It took me about two years to do it. Okay. Well, you you were definitely meticulous about that and devoted attention to it. So I can get how if a muscle isn't used, it will atrophy. So as the person is growing, they're using, they're moving, they're using their muscles, or as the person's brain is growing, um, they're they're learning things. But what is the thing about attention? Your first principle is movement, movement with attention. What's the importance of the child's attention to movement? And do neurotypical, are neurotypical children really attending to their movements? Uh, Yes, the answer is yes, but I want to just uh, clarify the attention is, they don't pay attention to their movement like they're analyzing what they're doing. Uh, what they're paying attention to is how they feel as they move and what happens as a result. So the attention is really to the self. It's to what I feel, to the internal sensations and feelings as I or the child or you move. 
And um, I noticed, in a, I mean, I, over, across the board over many years, that when people move uh, or children move are being moved automatically, uh, not only that there isn't much change that occurs, but it tends to groove in more what they're already doing. It becomes a stronger and stronger habit. And and it's very clearly can be seen with children with cerebral palsy or kids that have had, you know, stroke or things like that, is that they make efforts to do something, but they end up doing the same thing, and then it's harder and harder to change. Um, attention to what we feel as we move or the child's attention to themselves, to what they feel, to what they notice in themselves and around them as they move wakes up the brain and gets the brain to begin forming new connections and new possibilities uh, truly at a staggering rate. So uh, I'm going to quote here actually some total of a few research studies but first of all, one of the first ones shows that movement without attention, there is no change in the mapping in the brain of that area in terms of this, the, you know, the, how, how many connections there are between that area that moves in the brain, which has to change if we increase our control and skill level of that area. And when, we, when attention is paid to the movement, the way I describe attention, a... a the change is extremely rapid. There's significant and quick change. Other sets of research estimate the change at 1.8 million new connections per second. So that's about, I don't know, 100 million a minute, roughly, that gives the opportunity for enormous amount and really quantum leaps in the transformation of the child, and that's what I've been observing working with kids with autism, on the autism spectrum, and with other, you know, uh, challenges. Okay, very good. Um, so give me a practical example of what I could do right now as soon as I hang up the telephone. What can I do with my child to foster movement with attention? How old is your child? It depends okay, on so the age. Age makes a difference? A year and a half, Yeah. Okay, let's say I have three children. I have a child who's three. I have a child who's eight. I have a child who's 14. Okay. So if I take a child who's three, and and at that age we still, for example, help them dress, right? And for that you move and the child moves. So, for example, if you're going to need to put the sleeve through the arm, I would that's another essential, but I would slow the process down. So you don't always do it, but you do it a few times a day, you know, here and there, four, five, ten minutes at a time will make a huge difference. So, you, for instance, uh, you're going to want to put the sleeve through the right arm and and the left of the kid is wiggly. So you put your hands on the child slowly and say, oh, you're being wiggly now. And you can even help the child wiggle, like join them for a second. And you'll see... 99% of the time, you'll get the child's attention. And if you don't get it, I mean, you'll get the child to pay attention to themselves, not to you. And, and, then, and then I would touch the right arm and say, oh, that right, this arm is down here, and it doesn't have the sleeve on yet. Now, and you can be playful. That's a variation. If the sleeve is to the right of the child, the shirt, you can move the arm to the front and touch your sleeve and say, 
oh, is that going to put the sleeve on you? And you go, like, oh, no, the arm, maybe if you're going here, no, here, oh, here. The arm moved here, and oh, here's the sleeve. That's the way to get the kid to really closely pay attention to the sensation of the movement, where they're in space, and start, of course, connecting to the words and the cognition. Uh, that's just one example in a daily living. And there's some just infinite, infinite number of opportunities. So you're and thinking that's working better than just saying, do this and modeling it? Oh, it's incomparable. Have you ever tried to imitate somebody doing something that you really don't know how to do? That you really have no clue how to do? And you watch somebody. And, you know, would watching a violin player make you play the violin? <laughs> it won't. Okay. Now, once you start touching a violin, holding the bow, moving it, feeling if your arm goes more here, the sound gets screeching. If the arm moves a little there, the sound gets finer, and so on. And then you watch a violin player that is not too advanced you can start getting ideas because you can connect it to the memory of the feelings that you already had and experiences. The child has to learn from their own experience. It's a spontaneous thing. You know, not only that, when we try to make the child imitate and make them do what they're not able to sort out, their brain has not done the differentiations yet, oftentimes we make it harder for them to learn and we push them back. Okay. We will be right back with Annette Banyel, who will be trying to teach a middle-aged woman how to play the violin here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to this program's sponsors, Oxy Health and Superberries. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Annette Banyel, author of the new book, Kids Beyond Limits. And Annette, what is your website address? 
It's www.anatbanielmethod, A-N-A-T-B-A-N-I-E-L-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. Okay, very good. I encourage people to go there and also to check out the book Kids Beyond Limits. Let's go to your next of the nine essentials, the learning switch. What is the learning switch? How can parents recognize it? Uh, it, it is actually in Kids Beyond Limits. It's, I put it as essential number seven. I can Ooh, go okay. To, or, I, or I can go to the second next one, which is slow. That's what, which, you know what I I liked the book so much. And I'm, I let my mom have it to read it. So I'm sorry I don't oh, have that in front no, of me. No, this no, not a problem. I mean, it's yeah. like, it doesn't matter. It's just in terms of the progression. I'll do it quickly. It's slow. It's fast. We, we or the child can only do what they already know. That's how the brain is built. I mean, the, when we move fast, the brain has the, the, the deeply, more deeply ingrained uh, patterns have to catch. I mean, like when we are slipping on a banana peel, it goes all the way back to, you know, a reflex, you know, the writing reflex. So, <clears throat> so slow gets the brain's attention and, again, gives the child the time to feel, to notice, to become uh, aware of what's going on. And the reason that is so important is that the fundamental uh, unit of, with which the, work brain, uh, the brain works, the brain is an information system. One can understand it as an information system, not as a mechanical system. And the source of information for the brain is the perception of differences. So as long as we don't perceive a difference from thing one and thing two, and you know, I talk about it in the book, we don't, it doesn't exist for us. That means the brain is lacking the information it needs to work with. Kids very often, especially if they're irritated, they have ADHD, you know, they have a you know, meltdown, whatever, they are not slow at that moment. But the goal is the parent has or the caretaker has to slow themselves down and find ways to slow the child. If you want those, this time that you're with a child, to be an opportunity for learning and change. So just know that if things are going very fast or you're talking to the kid quickly or you're showing things quickly, uh, most likely the kid is just not going to get it. And I have uh, had many opportunities working with kids that by just gradually, you can't just take it from speedy to totally slow in a nanosecond, but by slowing everything down, kids all of a sudden just get it. You know, things that they couldn't understand, notice, comprehend for a long time. I like that. I like that chapter a lot in your book. Are you saying that if someone has ADD, ADHD, hyperactivity, that is impeding their ability to recognize differences and contrasts and thereby learn from that? Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> you take the most intelligent person, put them in something they don't know to do, and run through what they're supposed to learn real quick and do it for a week consistently, an hour a day, come the next week, and their brain, by the way, their switch will be totally off. I mean, they will expect to not be able to comprehend what you tell them. Right. You know, one of, one of the things that I observed, even with adults in my trainings, I have over and over again people come to me and said, I thought I was 
stupid when I was in school. And I realize that I can actually really understand this stuff now that I'm learning this here. So people get, people learn that they're idiots, but they're not. Except they start behaving in that manner. Okay, so give me an example of slowing things down with an eight-year-old. Okay, now we're moving to the eight-year-old. Well, with the eight-year-old, for instance, if they're uh, a... I've done it with my daughter. You know, when she started using the computer and something didn't work and, you know, they get very speedy. I don't quite know why that happens, but people are a lot on the computer tend to get also very speedy, not necessarily thorough, but like, try this, try that, try this, jump all over the map. And I actually told her, I said, sweetheart, First of all, take your hands off the keyboard, look away from the screen for a second, and you can even turn the child's chair or block with your body the view, not in an anger or fight, just kind of like stop it. And then you say, now, we're going to go slower. And what is it that we're trying to do? So you actually back off and you say, okay, what is it we're actually trying to do? And the child might know, but I go back to sort of create an anchor where we're moving from. That already slows the child. You know, and when they're little, you can always hug them. You can, you can be funny. You can be silly. Uh, you know, it, it, I would say to her sometimes, say, I said, look, at, like you said, the middle-aged woman, I'm an older person, and I need you to have some mercy on me. You know, <laughs> it's like whatever works. You know, you know your kid. You know yourself. And then sometimes just the hands. I would just hold the hand gently and say, slow your fingers down. I needed to go slow enough that I can follow what's going on. I remember she had some difficulty with math. You know, I have a degree in statistics and so on. And the way they taught math in school is, to my mind, ridiculous. And they tried to teach them road stuff and with a multiplication. And I really slowed it down. And I really got her to understand how multiplication is actually addition. And and got her to see slowly from different directions, and then she never had an issue again. You know, so that's like a cognitive way of doing it. Of course, slowly, if a kid tries to learn to do the bike, ride the bike, or, you know, and a lot of kids that I've known on the autism spectrum actually can have a lot of trouble with motor coordination, and just slowing it down and backing off, even taking a chair that rocks a little bit instead of a bicycle, and getting them to feel slowly what it means to shift weight because there's also very often issues with the vestibular system and space perception, and then you get them to do it lying on their belly, and then you slow there, and then you, they, I'm already talking about variation already, of course, because well, keep, Yeah, keep going. Back. Talk about variation. So variation is providing the brain with differences. Rather than waiting for the brain to sense differences through movement and its own actions, I actually ensure differences. Now, whether the brain perceives those differences or not, I, I can't predict in advance. But if I see that the child doesn't, quote-unquote, get it, I bring in new variations, and I can also create bigger, you know, variations, like much louder, much softer, a, a much harder, much easier. You know, I, I, I can do it on the belly and on the back. I, I mean, I can do it. I kids, especially when they're little, and I can still do it, sometimes I take their ankles and I put them upside down because I can see that their organization is spaced and then have them walk on their hands, walk on their knees, walk on their tush, 
walk on mommy, walk on the floor, you know, and if they can't walk, you know, move this way or that way. So if you reduce the effort, you slow down, you make sure the child pays attention to what they feel. And trust me, when you do all those three things together, the kids pay huge attention to themselves, and they become almost always very quickly brilliant learners. I have found, and that's maybe the biggest message I want to give through this talk, the quality, the potential quality of the brain as a learning brain is not at all directly related to the degree of difficulty the child has. In other words, the child can present themselves as having problems and behaviors that are off the wall. That doesn't mean they can't have a brilliant brain. And that is something I have experienced through my own work literally over and over and over again. And because they begin learning and they become brilliant and then they start breaking through their difficulties. All right. And then you talk about subtlety. You've talked about um, movement with attention and uh, going slowly and the importance of variation, and then you talk about subtlety. How does decreasing intensity increase perception? Well, the same. The principle behind this is actually a neurophysiological principle. The law is called the Weber-Sechner law, and that is that our sensory apparatus is built in such a way that the more intense the background stimulation or the, the sensory input, the more uh, we need... Uh, the greater amount of increased uh, stimulation we need to perceive a difference, which is what, again, my whole essentials, what they, they do, they increase the ability to and facilitate perception of differences. So, so, so for example, uh, if, just a general example. So if you go down Broadway Avenue in New York City and there are like gazillion cars going down and honking and everything, if I whispered in your ear, you wouldn't, I mean, if I whispered, you wouldn't hear, or even just talk normally, you wouldn't hear anything I said. But if we go into one of the buildings in the lobby, close the door, I can talk the same level, you hear me very easily. It's because the background noise is a lot less. When the child is making great effort, be it cognitive, be it uh, physical, be it emotional, if they're making great efforts, if there's big demands put on them and they're trying hard, actually it dumbing down their ability to learn at that moment. So it's really important to start with a child, whatever you're going to do with them, where they are now, not where we want them to be, but where they are, because that's where their brain and their world is, and that's what they are trying to make work. And then very gently, let's say if it's movement, and a child that, I've had a number of kids on this spectrum that had problems with balance. You know, they tend to fall a lot. You know, so I, I don't, you know, put them on a high beam and ask, you know, or make, but I, I, I take them off their feet. I get them to do different things that require balance. It's really easy. And where's the easiest place to have balance is when you lie down. And then I get them to do things, uh, you know, half up, half down. And, 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 and I reduce the effort, the mechanical, physical. And if I see that the child starts making big efforts, I actually make sure they stop. I either put them in my lap. I say I have a whole story about working with a girl where I talked about lazy land. I actually took a whole week to teach the girl to not try to move because everything she had, cerebral palsy, everything she 
she was has done for the first two years of her life in therapy, she couldn't move, but the efforts were enormous. So there was no way for her brain to ever get new information. She was just becoming a ball again and again and again, like tight muscles. And just doing that, she spontaneously started rolling over to her belly by the end of the week. That's how powerful that is. Emotionally, same thing. Cognitively, when a child doesn't understand something or doesn't do, you know, doesn't interact the way we want them to, for me, you know, kind of asking it again and again, sometimes it gives some outcome, but I feel that we can get more out of the brain if we back off, we gentle up, and we start where the child is. Mm-hmm. I know at your workshop at Autism One, you were uh, actually having uh, attendees get down on the floor. Is that what you were demonstrating? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, and people felt big changes, big, big changes. And, you know, parents of children in general, especially children with special needs, they need help, too. They need the same essentials that child needs. I think it's at least good for, just like you were talking about with the violin and actually using the instrument so that you could understand what was being demonstrated, it's good for parents to be able to personally relate to their child's therapy, and then they can help the child better with it. So we're going to take a break here and be back in a minute or two with the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Annette Vanyel. Thank you to this program sponsors Oxy Health and Superberries. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for New Reflections, featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skin care to plastic surgery, health and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Annette Vanyal, who developed a cutting-edge approach supported by recent brain plasticity research called the Annette Vanyal Method. So please visit her website. She's also, also author of the new book, Kids Beyond Limits. And today we're talking about the nine essentials. The next one we're going to discuss is enthusiasm. So, Annette, you've talked about mirror neurons, joy and hope and enthusiasm being important to the healing process of these kids. What's the difference between enthusiasm and reinforcement? Wonderful question. I love it. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, 
let me just say about the enthusiasm first. I see enthusiasm as a, an action, as something that we do, not as a reaction. And that essential is really the burden of that essential falls mostly on the parent of the child with special needs. And I, I observed working with kids over the years that when I had parents sitting in the room, because I usually have parents sit in the room, at least one of them, when I work with a child, when the parent was getting internal joy or satisfaction, observing small changes in the child and being interested in them and really getting a sense of pleasure or hope or pride or whatever it was, the feelings they had, I'm sorry, just one second. <clears throat> sorry. A, I could, the child, I could feel them changing faster, literally under my hand. But that I couldn't tell until I had the first parent that as the child was changing, and I'm talking about this in the book, a, the parent was a very loving parent, but the child had a lot, a lot of problems. So the small changes almost did the opposite to the parent. It was like, okay, that changed, but what about, you know, what about walking? What about talking? What about the big milestones, right? The other parent was the opposite. Every small change indicated to that, to the, the spouse of that parent, that there is possibility there, that the kid is learning. That means and more. And what happened was that when the parent that had enthusiasm was in the room, the child, sorry for the call waiting, the child improved a lot faster. And when the other parent was in the room, it was almost like the kid was dampened. I couldn't get that brain to really get that, like, bounce that I usually get in the lessons with the children. And then a few years later, I had another situation like that, and that's when I got that it's for real. You know, that it really makes a difference. And it was quite a few years ago. You know, my background in psychology, and it's kind of like, would have been considered like, you know, a bit of a, a woo-woo kind of thinking, but I knew it was for real. And, and now research shows that when I sit in a room and I look at you, and if I feel... I see you, and I notice things about you, and I'm happy about what I notice. I'm enthusiastic about you. You will actually, your brain will know to mark those specific behaviors, that means those specific patterns, as preferable. We human brains live, grow, and thrive in community of other human brains. And we wow. do pick up. This is something I really got very clear about just a few months ago and got the courage to make the statement for the first time. We need to be in high-level, well-functioning communities of human brains if we want to thrive. And certainly a child that has, the, you know, on the autism spectrum really needs it. So I tell parents, that, but I don't, I ask them to not clap, not ask to do, you know, say if the kid does something for the first time, not ask them to repeat it, to pretend like it's completely normal, just feel internally the enthusiasm because when you ask the kid to do it again, first of all, you, you grab their attention to you, you shift the dynamics to pleasing you and performing for you, which is not, you know, 
that's not the purpose here. And, and, and the other thing is it tends to inhibit the new learning because the new learning, is, the new connections are very fragile. They've not been myelinated much and they're not habitual yet. Enthusiasm helps move those new preferred connections to become a habit and allows the child, while he's supported through the emotional communication from the parent, allows the child to be busy with themselves, which is what they're supposed to be busy with. Remember, movement with attention. Right, right. And I'm jumping ahead, but how does movement with attention differ from awareness, which is one of your essentials? Yeah, great. Uh, That's a question that my editor asked me. (laughs) So attention and awareness are actually, from my point of view, very, very different, both extremely important functions of the brain. So I'll give you an example. You go to the movie theater and you sit and there is like an intense scene on, on the screen, right? And you pay really close attention to what's going on. But you're not aware that you're sitting at the edge of the chair holding your breath. So we can pay very close attention to something but not be aware of the fact that we are doing it or what it is that we are doing. We are just... I call it attentioning, which, you know, doesn't exist in English, and feeling. It amplifies the feeling and the perception of differences. Awareness is the ability to be our own observer or the observer of what's going around us. So an awareness is the most, from my point of view, the most advanced uh, capacity of the human brain. I think that the degree to which, you know, all all animals have, have a certain degree of consciousness, I distinguish between the two, But awareness, the ability to know that I know, the ability to know that I'm holding the phone, speaking with Terry, and the tone of my voice, and how long am I talking, that is a very, very advanced capacity of the brain. Babies and young children have it, by my observation, not verbally. They don't have the verbal translation, but they definitely can be aware. And my experience of awareness is that awareness glues in new learning. So when you want, so to speak, to reinforce, <laughs> I don't ever use this word, but if you want to, re- not because I'm against it, it just never occurred to me to use it, but if you want to reinforce something or to make sure that the learning is grouped in, awareness of the child to themselves and what they're doing is one of the fastest ways to get the brain to really get it and be able to recreate it. Not to us to do it again, but like I do it with a kid, let's say, that's stands up for the first time. I don't tell them that they stand up because they know they can't already by that time. But I say, oh, my God, you are taller than me right now. You see, I call in the awareness to something about what's going on. Okay. Sometimes I don't even say anything. I say, oh, I just say, oh, you know, or good for you. Just like that. Very general. And let them pick the cues that they can pick. Good. I appreciate that example. And um, you also talk about having flexible goals and that that can help children accomplish more. Oh, yeah. This is so, so very important. And it's so, again, it's very much the parents uh, doing here. Children, unless we hammer it into them, they don't have goals, especially not in the early years of life. So typically developing children... Uh, 
you know, they, they evolved from having no voluntary movement to being able to roll over and to come on their knees and sit and play and handle toys and all that stuff. They don't lie there when they're three months old and say, oh, when am I going to roll on my belly? You know, the process is built to progress. And by the way, the essentials mimic in that sense the natural process of learning and progression. In it, there are zero goals. There is enormous amount of focus and response to changes, but there is no specific goal. When we put a specific goal on the child that is not, either they're very close to it or already doing it, we are actually creating a big difficulty for the system because if the child could some could do something, they would do it. And if it were easy and pleasurable and manageable for them, they certainly would do it. It's not like they don't want to. And for the child, from their point of view, when there's a goal of something they can't do, their brain doesn't know what it is they're supposed to do, so they're not aiming for the right thing. They're just doing what they can, associating it to the goal, which means that the brain gets the faulty connect, you know, patterns associated to the intent. Very important to keep flexible goals in the sense that we want the child to learn and progress. And I, my experience is using the essentials, kids evolve. So this uh, kid that was in our practice for the first week, this week, 14 years old, on the spectrum, and and I I could see things that he needed to learn, and I could see where his movement was, you know, and the brain-body connections were, were, you know, were lacking, disorganized, and so on. But I couldn't tell in advance the specific outcomes that I get. I could just put him into the process. And the outcome was that he got stronger, he, he felt like he could start running, his diction got better, he felt better. He's breathing. He was not breathing. He was like in a chronic anxiety. That improved a lot. You know, and any one of those outcomes made sense, but I couldn't have said that these would be the outcomes this week. So we just want to put the child on the path of progression and harmonious, biologically sensible progression and then when we when human beings progress, they all end up progressing roughly in the same direction. All right, very good. When we come back from break, we will talk about the learning switch, which I tried to talk about earlier, but I adopted some flexible goals. So we'll talk about that when we come back, and then we'll talk about imagination and dreams. Here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Annette Vanyell, thank you to this program's sponsors, Oxy Health and Superberries. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. How do you make the right decisions in your life when it comes to your health? By education and proven practices. Tune in to Holistic Therapies with Dr. Jeffrey Tyker. Dr. Jeff will speak to the leading experts in natural health care to help you take charge of your health and well-being. It's a look at the best from alternative health, 
and tested clinical methods designed to give you everything you need to live a better, healthier life. Holistic Therapies can be heard every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Annette Benyeo, author of Kids Beyond Limits, and you can look that up on Amazon.com. Let's talk about now the learning switch. What is it? How can parents recognize it? Uh Learning switch, of course, is a metaphor, Terry, you know, but what it does represent is the brain as a whole, and research, again, validates that. By the way, I found research, that recent research validates all of the essentials, but the, 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 the brain is either in a learning mode or not. So the, the, we, we're not just learning all the time, you know, we, we can be engaged in automatic activity, and there is little or no learning happening at all. Learning requires that the brain, first of all, shifts from the automatic mode to the learning mode. And the way, the things that drive the brain to shut down, I think first I'd like to uh, mention is, you know, rote actions, lots of repetitions, they, 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 tend to turn the brain to be in on the automatic mode where existing patterns get grooved in more deeply and there is not much change. There's not much learning. The way that you, you can see and feel whether your child is on a, an, in a learning mode or not is, um, uh, sorry here, is, is that, you know, they get, they glaze. Uh, they get their muscles start getting stiffer. Uh, they look unhappy. Learning when it happens in a good way usually is a, either a very peaceful and almost meditative state, or at times just an exhilarated state. But true learning, what I call organic learning, personal learning, is is a very joyful experience when it's positive stuff that we learn. I'm not talking about trauma, a traumatic incident. So so the that. And real learning, uh, the brain is able to really learn, change. Research, again, marvelous research shows somewhere anywhere between 15 to 20 minutes is this section of time that the brain can really be in a learning mode where you get this. And another way that you know that brain is in a learning mode because the kid is changing in front of your eyes and they can change in the way they think, how they talk, the tone of their voice, how they move the new ideas that they get. I mean, you get change. If there's learning, there's change. Because learning, when it happens, it's instantaneous, and the changes can be, like, small. The kid all of a sudden look in your, looks in your eyes more often or, or is uh, doing something they've never done before. You know they're learning. But just know, 20 minutes. Then, if you keep with the same activity, the curve goes way down, and if you this very often the new learning does get inhibited, so it's, it's a, it becomes a negative value rather than neutral or positive value. And then you can either shift to something completely different, and then the brain will tend to learn again, or you just give it rest. 
You just let the kid do whatever they want and hang out and integrate the learning. Our lessons in our center are anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes each. Kids get usually in the, do the programs two a day, and they eat a lot more, sleep a lot more, because the, when there's real change, it's a lot of work for the brain. It's a positive thing, but it's, it's actually requires a lot more sleep, more nutrients, and so on. And that's they're looking at an hour to an hour and a half a day, and that's the maximum. I don't want, I don't want, I can't. I mean, it's not going to be productive. So you, that's how you you look to make sure your kid is learning. And if they're not available, they're too tired, they're upset, and so on. Back off. Find another time. All right, and finally, there's imagination and dreams. Yeah, you know, I want to say one more thing about the learning switch for parents, if I may. The fact that we teach doesn't mean that the child learns. So it's really important to understand that teaching is a completely independent, separate process from learning. And when they correlate, it's terrific, and oftentimes they don't. That's why it's important to make sure that the child's learning switch is on, okay? And imagination and dreams, uh, well, you know, imagination uh, is a hugely powerful capacity of the human brain. Einstein said that this, you know, preview of a life's upcoming attraction, that means that coming back to the violin, once, uh, you know, you've held the violin and felt what it's like and to move, you can start backing off, imagining doing it, and, and when you imagine, you can bring different parts of yourself. You can imagine it being pleasurable. Then you go back and do the same thing. And most times you'll see that there's significant improvement. Again, research shows that the changes when you practice and when you imagine are, are uh, almost equal and, and under certain conditions better with imagination. So, and with children, by my observation on the spectrum, very often the imagination their tendency, spontaneous uh, tendency as children to to activate or use or be imaginative is somewhat hampered. So there's a tendency for a lot of repetition, wanting to see the same video, you know, si- you know, reciting the, the 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 you know text on a video. And for me, that's an indication of of a brain that is really a, needs help in getting its footing because this is, uh, indicates the difficulty of creating new possibilities, new connections, responding with, you know, with the new information to the streaming stream of life. And there are ways, again, I talk about it uh, in my book where I, 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 when I became aware of it with a specific child a bunch of years back, he was five years old, uh, I had him do what he wanted to do, which is watch uh, Thomas the Engine and speaking like a fraction of a second, he would say what was coming up, and then gradually start kind of stopping it. First, he got upset by it, but then he, he I kept doing also other things with movement, so he would be comfortable. But I had stopped and said, oh, what do you think, and what would have happened if, and maybe Thomas the Engine went there, or maybe, and really started instilling the process of him beginning to to apply his imagination. Very, very powerful. Well, Annette, are there any closing messages that you'd like to give to parents or other therapists listening to this show? Well, uh, my message is that, first of all, like I said earlier, almost all the children I work with and the children on the spectrum 
actually their brain can become a brilliant learning brain or in sometimes exquisite and sometimes just better. But really, they can do a lot better. And that a lot of the essentials call on a real paradigm shift uh, on the part of the therapist to the parent. And the difficulty with the shift is not so much cognitive as emotional because for a parent that, let's say, does certain things with the child, certain amount of hours a day with the, the intent to help the child to back off, let's say, not do so much of that and start, you know, reducing the force and doing various... It can be very scary. So, so uh, uh, I encourage the therapist and the parents to give it a try because, you know, taking a few days or even deciding to do a program for two weeks where you apply one and then another and another and bring folding the essentials, if you see changes start happening, that I'm getting now emails from parents saying that that's happening just at home doing it, then you'll be able to trust it and shift your approach in general. But just know that it's a big change for you, the adult. It's not just a change for the child, but I think obviously that it's well worth it. I think it's the future. Well, Annette, I want to thank you for your transformational information to help kids. Thank you for giving us this information today and also for your presentations and your workshop at Autism One. Thank you. And, Terry, thank you so much for having me and for giving me a platform to, you know, inform parents. And uh, uh, I, I think that what you guys are doing is just fantastic and we we really need to help a lot of children, a lot of families, and we need to use everything we know. Absolutely, and I think that this is an essential piece. So thank you for bringing it to our listeners. And I want to thank this program's sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries, and also our listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.